Welcome to Grace Church Resources. This is the home of the teaching ministry of Grace Community Evangelical Free Church in Spofford, New Hampshire. Here you will find weekly sermons, special teaching series, testimonies, and much more. If you haven't already subscribed, we encourage you to do so so you will be notified when we post new material. We trust these resources will be a supplement to your regular involvement in a local church wherever you may be, and that by His grace and for His glory, you are looking more like Jesus every day. Good morning, everybody. There are fewer things um, really in this world that, that I enjoy more um, than to hear somebody stand up and say, count me in. For me to be able to get up and preach after hearing three people go into the waters of baptism, like... I feel like my job is the easiest job ever at this point. What a glorious thing to hear people say. If you don't think that God's word works, right there. God's word transforms lives. It's why we do what we do. I love Christmas. I love Christmas so much my daughter's middle name is Noel. French for Christmas. I could do without the commercialism, and, but I love its beauty, its family gatherings, the anticipation. I love Christmas so much that I even listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. <laughs> I, I, I realize that there's nothing that divides a room more than Shakespeare, cilantro, and listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving. <laughs> You're either all in or you're all out. And if you're all out, I apologize, but um, I, I just love Christmas. If we were to walk down Main Street in Keene or even in Brattleboro, and, and we were to just to pull some people aside randomly and ask them, what, what is the meaning of Christmas? We would get just an array of answers. It's about family getting together. Um, it's a corporate holiday that was made by man. Uh, it's about giving and receiving. And we may even also hear that it's about the birth of Jesus. But even in all those answers, I think we have to admit to ourselves that we know each and every one of those people. Whether it's at work or at home, at school, or maybe even here in the church. We know people who fall into those categories and to believe um, those various definitions of, of, uh, of Christmas. And over the years, Christmas has just begotten, it's just gotten so um, increasingly secular. Um, I think this year, uh, I walked past an, an artificial Christmas tree in the store just to find the Halloween candy. <laughs> and, and maybe next year, I'll be tripping off of, you know, Rudolph and Santa as I'm looking for, you know, barbecue grills and fireworks. It just gets earlier and earlier. But for the Christian... The true meaning of Christmas is celebrating the birth of Jesus. Now you may be thinking, well, that may just be the most obvious thing I've heard all day. Uh, and that may be true. Uh, but in my experience, restating the obvious, um, one, is not such a bad thing because it may be, not, may be obvious to you, but it may not be so obvious to the person sitting next to you. And secondly, um, I have learned that sometimes exploring what is familiar um, tends to reveal things that you have never seen before. 
There are two places in the New Testament where the birth of Jesus is recorded for us. One is in Matthew, which tends to be from Joseph's perspective. And the other is in the Gospel of Luke, uh, which tends to be from Mary's perspective. Um, our time is going to be spent in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we're going to encounter a group of shepherds that had an angel show up to them and sang to them the very first Christmas hymn. So if you have your Bible with you, or maybe um, one on your device, if you don't, there's probably one located under the seat in front of you. I'd love to follow along as I read our passage of Scripture this morning, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. That first verse that I read, verse 8, really gives us some general background information. And there were shepherds in the fields nearby watching over their sheep. This was not an uncommon sight. Their presence was to protect the sheep and from wild animals and from robbers. And clearly this was a duty that was in their job description. And even outside today uh, in Bethlehem, there are rolling hills and fields uh, ideal for this task. Sheep in Bethlehem would have been a very common thing to see because these sheep were going to be for sale. For those pilgrims coming into Jerusalem to make sacrifice for the religious feasts weren't going to bring necessarily a lamb or a sheep with them from their home. They commonly stopped just before they got into Jerusalem to purchase one that was without blemish. So that's why it was not uncommon to see sheep in this particular area, in Bethlehem. Verse 9 here is the angelic announcement. And an angel appeared, and the glory of the lone showed upon them, showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. This was the third angelic announcement recorded in Luke. The first was to Zechariah, if you remember, that he was told that his wife was going to give birth. The second angelic announcement was to Mary concerning her impending pregnancy and the identity of the child. Matthew also records us an announcement that was given to Joseph concerning Mary's state and the child's divine distinctiveness. The identity of the angel is not given to us because it just really doesn't matter. The message takes center stage because it is the message of all messages. The response of the shepherds is congruent with all other angelic encounters that we see throughout Scripture. As you study these encounters, 
you tend to see that the recipient of the angelic message reacted with some type of fear. Whether it is clearly stated or the angel's initial response is fear not or don't be afraid, it is seen through all of Scripture that this is the typical response. And this is one of the reasons I hold very loosely all of these books that come out about people going to heaven for a few minutes and coming back. Because in their biographies, not a single one of them says that they were terrified. Not a single one of them. So I hold loosely these testimonies. Because as I read scripture from Old Testament to New Testament, when anybody came encounter with the spiritual being, angel or the Lord himself, they were terrified. Now I don't know what about these encounters was fearful. But in this particular one, it would seem to be overwhelming. And the scripture says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it's not just an angelic encounter, but the surrounding of the glory of the Lord that has created an atmosphere of fear. So we have shepherds doing their ordinary thing in the fields at night, and an angel appears to them, and God surrounds them in glory. And that's what sets up the message. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The announcement is good news. And the object of the announcement will be great joy. This is the introduction piece that builds to the official announcement. It draws us to the message, the verbal trumpet fanfare and drum roll that builds the anticipation. The message is to be for all people. And this would have been heard by the shepherds to mean the Jewish people, Israel. And at this point, that's accurate. Israel is God's chosen. And Israel is waiting in anticipation for a promised one to come to them as a people. Now, hindsight would show us that the Gentiles will also benefit from this message as well. But it's a national focus at this point. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is not a prophetic message for the future. It's a message that begins in a time frame of today. This is certainly good news of great joy. The promised one has come. It is a present reality. It is no longer a future hope. The location is given, which is in fulfillment of Micah 5.2. And they would have understood the city of David to be Bethlehem. For that's where David was born. Bethlehem has always had a place of great significance within Scripture. The first time, uh, or excuse me, um, it was originally, it was called Ephrata in Micah uh, chapter 5. And later it was called Ephrata Bethlehem, or just simply Bethlehem. The first time Bethlehem is mentioned in the Bible is when Rachel, the wife of Jacob, died there. It's mentioned again when Ruth traveled to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's where Ruth eventually married Boaz and gave birth to Obed, who became the grandfather of David. And Bethlehem is the birthplace of David. And it was the place where Samuel anointed him to be the future king. 
The crux of the message is now given and is wrapped in incredible theology and unimaginable love. The birth is declared and the identity of the child is to be revealed. The angels first called him Savior. A Savior has been born to you. In the Old Testament, this word was commonly used to be deliverer, and it was used primarily for God himself. He rescues them from enemies and plagues. What is being communicated here is that the one born is a rescuer, a rescuer for the shepherds. They were the epitome of the common man, insignificant in social structure and the most unlikely to have a role in the messianic drama. They did a job that most didn't want to do, and there was nothing fancy about them. I find it amazing that the announcement came to them. Could have come to priests or the governing body, but the simplest of the day were chosen to hear the proclamation that would change everything. Now, as I meditated on the shepherds being the ones to which the announcement came, it occurred to me that they were not the first unlikely and insignificant to be chosen by God and to be used by God. All the way back in Genesis, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren until she was 90 years old and gave birth to Isaac. Rebekah was barren until Isaac prayed and then she had twins, Esau and Jacob. Rachel, Jacob's wife, was barren until she had Joseph who delivered Israel from famine. Manoah's wife was barren until she had Samson, who was also a deliverer for Israel. Hannah, Elkanah's wife, was barren until she had Samuel, the great prophet. Ruth, Boaz's wife, widowed, barren until she had Obed, who had Jesse, who had David, who became the king of the line of Jesus. Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, elderly and unable to have children, is the mother of John the Baptist, to whom Jesus said there was no greater prophet born of woman. Mary, a young teenager chosen to be the mother of Jesus. And the shepherds, a looked down upon people, first to hear the Messiah had come. It seems to me that God delights in using those that the human eye declares unlikely and insignificant to play a role in the redemptive drama. The second piece of identification given is the name Christ. And this is linked to the third name, Lord. Christ, the Lord. Messiah in Hebrew and Christ in Greek both mean the same thing, anointed one. The angel is telling us that this is the Messiah, the heir of David. He is not just Messiah, but he is also Lord. The only other time this term is used in the story surrounding the birth is when Elizabeth says to Mary, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me? All the other uses of the word in the birth narrative refer to God. 
Luke will develop this truth of Jesus as Lord later on in his gospel. But for now, we know this term leads us to believe that this child is not just a rescuer and a Messiah, but he is something more. Verse 12, and this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Like all other angelic announcements in the birth narrative, there is a sign. The newborn will be wrapped in clothes and lying in an animal feed trough. One would never expect the Messiah to be born in an animal feed trough, in a barn or in a cave. There are cleaner, more appropriate places for a child of such distinction to be born. But doesn't it read so well that the one chosen to redeem the humble, simple shepherds would have a simple, humble beginning himself? Verse 13, and suddenly there was, an angel, there was an angel with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. At this moment, the announcement of good news of great joy, a choir of angels appears with the proclaiming angel and offers the shepherds the very first Christmas hymn. The entourage of angels offers to us what Jesus coming to earth means. These heavenly uh, beings are offering to us the purpose and the significance of Jesus' birth. The angels are ascribing praise to God. This praise is taking place in the heavenly realms, the highest place. This birth brings great praise in heaven and on earth. It will bring peace among people on whom God's favor rests. Peace is another idea that is often associated with with Christmas. Peace on earth is commonly expressed. As I read the passage, that's not the idea that is being conveyed. According to the angels, peace comes to those on whom his favor rests. The idea of peace on earth or peace for man, that was Hallmark's idea. That didn't come from Scripture. His birth was for all people. His death, according to John 3.16, is for all people. His peace, however, as I read the scriptures, is only for those on whom his favor rests. Christmas was not designed to bring peace to everyone. This is the idea of election, a term that not everybody likes, but we cannot ignore it, for it is clearly mentioned here. The application of Christ's death on whom his favor rests. The Apostle Paul, in many of his letters to the early churches across Asia Minor, would begin his letters with this, with this phrase, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is never stated peace, and grace. Here lies a great truth. You will never know God's peace before you know God's grace. The good news of great joy is that our Savior has come. A Savior saves, and sadly many believe that they don't need to be saved. The truth is that all of humanity has a sin problem. We are unable to remedy that because of the very fact that we are sinners. 
Our sin separates us from God and Jesus came to reconcile that relationship. His sacrificial death paid the price um, demanded for our sin. We could not pay it, Jesus did. I say all of this to remind us of the essential role Jesus' birth plays in the redemption drama. Without a manger, there is no cross. Without a birth in Bethlehem, there is no resurrection in Jerusalem. Without an incarnation, there is no redemption because Jesus had to come to become human to pay the price for our sin. His coming may have come in the fullness of time, according to Galatians, but the plan was from eternity past. God purposed to set in motion a series of events that would change the course of human history and make a way for humanity to have a restored and reconciled relationship with the Father. Friends, the advent of Christ was missional. The advent of Christ was missional. The actual procuring event may not have taken place for another 33 years, but here is where it started. Christmas was missional for Jesus, and should it not be for us as well? The peace of God reserved for those on whom he has favor should quicken us with a desire to tell the story. How wonderful would it be if this Christmas was marked by a surge of evangelistic fervor? And if that's a difficult thought for you, then you should know that the statistics tell us that the majority of people would come to a Christmas service if they were only invited. And in my saying of those words, may God put somebody in your mind at this moment that you would invite to our Christmas services because Christmas is missional. Bing Crosby and Elvis Presley were the ones that made famous I'll be home for Christmas. But that was not the original lyric. The original lyric was I'll be away for Christmas. And it was lived out by Jesus as he left heaven and wrapped himself in flesh for his Father's glory and for our salvation. For the ones so prone to wander, for these feet so quick to flee, God is here and love is reaching for the lost and least of these. Father, thank you for these moments to look into your word. Father, thank you for the clarity that it brings to us. I pray that you would instill within us a desire to share the story. As Christ himself left the comfort of heaven to come here, to dwell among us and to die a death, to pay a price we could not pay. Father, I pray that within this season and these coming weeks, Father, would you burden us with the name and the face of a family member or a friend. Someone in which we could share the true meaning of Christmas. That they would understand that a Savior came for them, died for them, 
that they may have a restored relationship with their creator. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. We trust this resource was a blessing to you. You might also be interested in our other podcast, Grounding Our Faith, which is an interview-style conversation with staff, church leaders, and members about issues of theology and everyday faith. Grace Church Resources and Grounding Our Faith are both ministries of Grace Community Evangelical Free Church in Spofford, New Hampshire.